When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good morning, everybody. It is Thursday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, assistant sports editor for multimedia at the Post-Gazette, joined today by Paul Zeiss, our sports columnist for his weekly YouTube appearance. Paul, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I am hanging in there, Paul. I'm just going to get right to it. Usually we try to lead with the Steelers topic. People love to click on the Steelers stuff. Today we're going to talk about Austin Hedges, the Pirates catcher booed this week at PNC Park amid his season-long 170-whatever-it-is batting average, an OPS in the four range. And while that was happening, while fans were saying that's not good and we're going to boo this guy because we'd rather see the – First overall pick from the draft a few years ago, Henry Davis, catching for this team rather than playing in the outfield. The organization decided to, with its whole heart, defend Austin Hedges and basically tell people that that they don't know what they're talking about with regard to this guy. <laughs> um, it was the, on the broadcast, Paul. The broadcasters were talking about it. Ben Charrington said, we love our catching duo. They're the best defensive catchers in baseball. Um, Derek Shelton was saying it. Um, you know, it's, it, it was an organization wide talking point that, that everything is fine. I, I don't know why you people have a problem, Paul, what's your reaction to how things have gone this week? Well, I mean, first of all, I, I kind of feel a little bit bad for, uh, um, Austin Hedges because he's sort of become the symbol of everything wrong with the pirates and, you know, fans have basically decided he is going to be the person they are going to take out all of their frustrations on. Um, so it, I feel bad that he's getting booed and, you know, people are, are angry and, and, and all the other stuff. By the same token, um, you know what? People pay money to go to see games and they want to see a better product than what the Pirates are putting on the field. And it starts with your guy that is hitting 170. Now. The thing about it is you and I on this very show way back when they signed him basically said they're signing a very uh, light hitting guy who is not going to add much to the offense who, you know, apparently is very good with defensively and that's who he's been. So I don't know, you know, uh, why people are surprised by this. What is troublesome, however, is that the Pirates – and, you know, many of their, uh, um, the, you know, their, their uh, PR people, paid or unpaid, um, have decided to attack the idea that somehow uh, what they're doing with Austin Hedges is working. It's not. And, and here's the thing I'm going to tell you. 
when you start to talk about defensive metrics, and and I, I you know, listen, I, I get this reputation as somebody who hates analytics. I don't hate analytics. I think they're a very valuable tool. I think there's a lot that you can learn from them. I think numbers are important. I think one thing that's been very clear in talking to a lot of baseball people, uh, much smarter than me, I, I, I know that I'm right, uh, is that them, defensive metrics are a little bit less uh, accurate in terms of what they're actually measuring than offensive measure that met offensive metrics. And so to me, sometimes you can overemphasize overstate or overvalue uh, numbers um, and not look at the whole big picture. And I would say that's the case. And, and, and I think it was you that raised the point when we were going at it on Twitter with all these other people that he's a negative war player. So his defensive run saved, uh, you, you know, Let's go. His defensive, you know, that because that's the number that they continue to throw at us is that defensive run saved. He's like first or third or second or whatever it is. Okay. Well, part of that, part of that is um, uh, the fact that um, he has had opportunity to save runs because the Pirates, Pirates seem to put themselves in positions to give up runs. But the other part of it is. Um, if his war overall is negative, it means you're putting him on the field. It's a net negative every single day. That's basically what that stat means. So Adam, to me, I can understand you signed up for $5 million and you want to keep him involved. And you know, you know what, you know what Austin Hedges is the perfect backup catcher on a contender. That's what he is. That's what his numbers suggest he is. That's what all of his pitch framing and all that other stuff. That's that's exactly what you would be looking for with your backup catcher if you're a contending team and you have the luxury of having a guy like that as your catcher. The Pirates yeah, I mean, don't need the Pirates don't need a pitch framing defensive catcher, but they don't have the luxury to have that guy. They need they need somebody who can at least hit. His weight, put it that way. Well, what's galling me, Paul, is I've seen comparisons to Francisco Cervelli, Russell Martin, that, oh, Pirates fans should know the value of pitch framing because they have those <laughs> guys. I'm sorry. They were good hitters, right? And, and right. I don't think people are even expecting Austin Hedges to be that. The idea that Pirates fans don't know what a defense-first catcher, um, you know, looks like and, and – they can accept the premise that this guy's good defensively. We care less about his offense, but we're not talking about a guy who's hitting 200, getting on base at 270, has an OPS in the upper fives, low sixes, where you know you can squint and say that guy is is if you add the whole package up is reasonably productive. His OPS is 435, Paul. <laughs> like yes, the, the, it's not as if we don't have the ability to to measure to take defensive value, <laughs> take offensive value, and put it together. You're right. That's the war stat, and like every stat, Paul, war is flawed. But so then is defensive run saved as like a catch-all metric that excuses everything that's that's you know going on with with a player. I kind of feel like this week has reminded me a lot of of what was happening with the Penguins this season, where you had guys like <laughs> Jeff Carter, um, you know, some of these other bottom six guys that were getting a ton of criticism from fans who ended up getting sent out of town and who ended up getting the general manager fired. Um, right. All we heard all season was, well, he fills a role, he fills a role, and you just don't understand 
because you, the fan, and you, the media observer, are too stupid to understand the sport. So I'm going to talk real slow for you. I mean, that's how it comes across to me, Paul. Well, and the Jeff Carter comparison is is, is incredibly uh, uh, an incredible good one uh, because consistently we were told Jeff Carter is good on faceoffs. Remember that that he's really good on faceoffs, and you know there was some other I, the one night Mike Sullivan threw out some other nonsense about Jeff Carter and you know uh, some you know some number that explains how he's really and it's like listen. The, pro- the biggest, the only problem I have with analytics is when my eyes are telling me something completely different than what the numbers are telling me. That tells me the numbers are a little bit flawed, and, and it's not always perfect. But again, you know, if we're going, you know, and, and I think the, the the poster child for defensive metrics being overvalued and sometimes overlo- uh, overvalued and 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 probably a little bit flawed. Um. What was his name that played for the for the uh, the Cubs? Uh, was his name Jason Hayward? Was that his name? The, the outfielder. Yeah. Remember the contract he got based almost exclusively, almost exclusively, on his defense. And guess what? After about two years of that contract, the Cubs understood that they ate a big, big pork pork chop. I mean, he's a guy who couldn't hit. And at the end of the day, <clears throat> one of your corner outfielders who it may, you know, maybe the best defensive outfielder in baseball, if he can't hit, his value is probably a lot less than what you're paying him. Uh, but they paid him, what was it, $24 million or $25 million a year, whatever it was, based almost because, you know, again, that was one time that, um, you know, the, 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 that they allowed their, their love for defensive metrics and all that other stuff uh, to cloud their judgment. And I think that we'll probably never see a contract like that again. But again... On a team like the Pirates, a guy like Austin Hedges is a luxury item, really. I mean, and, 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 okay, he's a backup catcher on a really good team. And, and it was my argument last year for trading David Bednar. You have a 100-loss team. You have an asset like David Bednar that would probably bring you back something at the trade deadline because, you know, teams always are looking for closers. What's the point of it? I mean, yesterday they pitched David Bednar. And what were they down? Eight to two or eight to three or whatever it was. They pitched him because for seven or eight games, they haven't been able to use him because they've been losing. And to me, you know, again, I, I understand it. He's a local guy and this and that. And we want to, but here's the thing with a guy like David Bednar. And this is, this is what I will tell you. Big, strong guy, right? Throws it hard. Big body. Do you know what those kind of guys generally happen with to those kind of guys? Their arm wears out. Okay. His biggest value is right now. And you know what? If you end up getting good over the next two years, you can go find a closer. They probably, you know, the Pirates have proven that probably more than any team in baseball is that closers. Neil Our, Neil Huntington's Neil Neil Huntington's Pirates proved that Paul. I don't know about Ben Sherrington's. Well, true, but my point <laughs> is, you can go out and find closer if you you know you can find guys that close. And you know what? Given the fact that there's like eighty-seven thousand pitchers allegedly in the Pirates system that all throw hard and all the other stuff, one of them's got to be able to come in and get three outs. Um, so to me, I look at it as a luxury item. But if you're starting, uh, you know, it, it, to me. Right now, you need to put your nine best hitters out there because your lineup is terrible. 
I mean, yesterday they had who did they, they had uh, what's the guy's name that um, that they brought up that they had him leading off yesterday. They had Connor Joe batting fourth. I mean, what are we doing here? You know, and to me, that's the biggest issue. Um, now I know Reynolds is hurt or whatever is going on with him. Uh, I don't know what I mean. Did Mc, uh, did McCutcheon get hurt or something because he had two days off in a row? Well, he's, been um, sitting, he's been sitting out a few days, Paul. That's what I mean. I, I'm not sure what's going on there, but to me, I look at the, who are you, who are my nine best hitters, and I put them out there and and and, and put them out there in a, in such a way that it's going to give me the best chance to score runs every single day. This this thing that they're doing where they're they're trying to kid themselves into thinking that they can you know trick up. You know, based on analytics, trick trick up the things uh, and put guys out there who aren't good enough. I mean, my thing with Henry Davis is if if you put him at catcher, okay, let's put him at catcher. I've heard actually people say to me, "Well, he's just not ready to be a catcher. He's not a, okay." What's the worst that could happen, Adam? If you put him at catcher for seven days in a row, what's the worst that could happen? The worst thing, I'd say the worst case scenario is if for seven days in a row they go five and two. That would be the worst case scenario, blowing an entire hole in the theory that you can't win with Henry Davis catching. And my point is, if he's a catcher, right, the defensive run saved or whatever the, the stat is, how much worse will it really, truly be, considering how small that number really is, if you look at, you know I mean, in the grand scheme of, how many games they've played and whatnot, right? I mean, we're probably talking about one, maybe two runs a week, if that difference. And if he if he's a guy that's going to get you one or two hits, you know, one or two hits and, and, and drive in some runs and help you win games, you've already made up whatever you think you're losing at catcher. And the other part of it is, and, and very few people talk about this, by putting him in right field, or DH, you're essentially taking one of your better hitters out of the lineup to keep Austin Hedges in your lineup. That, to me, is the biggest. You have you, you have decent guys, Paul, that that are in that outfield already. Right. Like right. The, the night he debuted, Jack Sawinski sat, and Jack Sawinski. Look, he is a flawed player. I still think I, I'm not ready to put him in the Hall of Fame or anything. <laughs> but he's he's the only real power threat on this team uh, on a consistent basis. And he sat for Henry Davis while Austin Hedges was in the lineup. And then they're shocked that they didn't score any runs that night. Um, well, you know, and, and, and so, like, I, I agree with you. It's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. And, and that's, why the, that's why the fans get angry, Paul, right, is when you start telling them things that are, you know, antithetical to our entire understanding of the sport, actually we're smarter than you and, and you should listen to us and trust us on this issue even though as a front office we've we've given you no evidence that we know what we're doing here, we're in the middle of you know four seasons, four losing seasons now. With you know, I feel not a clear end in sight. Obviously, some of these prospects are going to be coming up, but you know, and here's my question for you, Paul. Let me frame it this way: If this is the type of thing that they 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 believe and that they're willing to defend their process with for with their whole heart, should it not call into question the entire big picture of this rebuild? and the decisions that are being made on the micro basis, if this is like a big, obvious decision that it just feels like they're getting wrong? Well, I would say this. Um, I, I would go even further in the fact that they, they gave Derek Shelton a contract extension before the season 
knowing full well that it could go south and he could have a four, a, essentially a fourth 100 loss season. I know that 2020 was, uh, uh, I know 2020 was a shortened season because of COVID, but let's face it, if they'd have played 162 games that year, that year, that team might have lost 120 of them. But um, my point is, yes. What here's what I always do, and and it frustrates some people, right? I always say I need to see a body of work before I'm ready to really to 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 fire a coach or move on from a general manager or whatever. So there are times, even I will give you a great example, Kevin Stallings. Two years two years into Kevin Stallings, I kind of felt like, well, you know what, <clears throat> it hasn't been good, but I'm willing to say, okay, give him one more year, bring some guys in to see if they can actually get a little bit better before you pull the plug on a guy you hired, you know, um, just to see what happens. Because at the end of the day, we've seen guys who takes two or three years before they get it going. You know, it took Narduzzi, what, six years or seven years. So I've been very, very cautious to criticize Ben Sherrington. That being said, I'm starting to run, get to the point where, just like you said, I look at some of these smaller decisions, right, that affect the baseball team. Decisions that are bigger decisions like, extending your manager, right? And I start to say to myself, is this guy going to get it done? I, I really thought, you know, listening to him talk in his first year and, you know, all the things he said and this and that, I really thought, yes, you know what? I think this is the guy to do it. I think he's very smart. He knows what he's talking about. He, he's got a plan. I'm becoming more and more every single week concerned that this is not the guy that this is not an upgrade this is not even an upgrade over david littlefield at this point Oof. and uh yeah and so i mean to me when you look at the body of work adam what is it that suggests that there's this huge turnaround coming at the end of this year going into next year and that they're going to be a contender going forward is there anything you can really point to? I mean, they're well, pitching, they're, they're, you know, their quote unquote top pitching prospect, Quinn Priester, right, uh, is allegedly nowhere close to being ready to, to, to pitch. Yes. Uh, you've got Ronzi Contreras, right, who's supposed to be the, you know, the anchor of your staff. He can't even get two or three outs as a reliever, right? Um, right. You've, you've got I mean, Henry Davis. Davis. Well, can I hop in here? Henry Davis yeah. apparently doesn't know how to catch. He was in college <laughs> for a million years. He's 20, 23 years old. He's not like 18, Paul. He's 23 years old. He's the former number one overall pick, and you're out here telling us he doesn't know how to catch. He's not ready to catch. Right. Andy but, Rodriguez is, is, is apparently not ready, right? Right. They, they say he's not ready to catch either. He needs to get more reps at catcher. And, oh, by the way, this whole season we were running Henry Davis out in right field, you know, <laughs> while saying that he needs to catch more and that we, we can't call him up because he needs to catch more, but we're only going to have him catch every second day. And then we're going to bring him up and stick him in right field while the catcher who hits 175 gets to stay in the lineup. I mean, if, if he's not ready, then, then that, there's a, that's a problem. And, and I, I've heard the other side of the argument is, well, you got to be patient with prospects. They're not always ready immediately. <laughs> <laughs> We've been hearing that for how long? 
if that was one or two guys, Paul, I would say, okay, sure. You know, some guys need a little bit more time to get acclimated to the majors than others. But the fact that it is consistent and that they are managing our expectations for every person that we talk about as being the future of this franchise, at a certain point, don't you have to question whether whether the, de- the problem is the people developing the players and not the talent itself? Absolutely. Listen, at the very least, at the end of this season, they need to clean out a lot of their minor league instructors, apparently. They need to clean out, you know, uh, Shelton says they, they signed him to an extension. They need to clean out some of his staff. They, they Obviously, the baseball people, the people that are on the field, are not getting the job done. Either that or the evaluators are not getting the job done. One or the other has to be true. But, uh, but to your point about Henry Davis, if he's nowhere close to being ready to be a catcher, what have you been doing with him for two years or whatever, two and a half years or whatever it is? If 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 Andy Rodriguez is nowhere near ready to be, what have you been doing for? If Quinn Priester is well, you know he's not he's nowhere not really close to be. Okay, well, what have you been doing with him? Because these were supposed to be some of your best prospects, and I and and, and the other guy that I'm you know I'm starting to get nervous about because if you remember when they drafted him, he was going to be the you know the second coming. Is Nick Gonzalez because he's another guy I've heard all kinds of uh, mixed uh, uh, signals about in terms of you know uh, the flaws that he has in his game and uh, you know whether he will actually ever become a really really good uh, uh, a base a major league baseball player. I think that's a, that's a really important question to ask. I mean, and he's I think the last list I looked at, he's like their fourth best prospect. At the end of the day, this has to get better. I agree. And you know, Paul, I'll tell you one other thing on, on the hay or on the hedges discussion that, that really galls me is that they talk about defensive value as if we don't like go through the same conversation every day with Cabrian Hayes. Cabrian Hayes is a guy who actually brings the the analytic value on defense that we were talking about earlier, right? He's a two, three win player just based on his glove. And that's documented in the fact that he's had a mediocre bat, but for that one month in 2020 since he got here. But he's still been productive, and everyone is everyone around this team is able to temper their expectations and say, "Yeah, like it'd be great if he he was hitting better." But we know that he brings clear defensive value to this franchise over the course of 162 games. So you know, people have been able to temper their expectations. Is yeah, I'll throw another name out there, Jack Wilson. I think Key Brian Hayes is rapidly trending toward being a Jack Wilson character in the, in the Pirates universe. Of you always see him hit for a couple weeks and you think he could be a pretty solid hitter and then maybe be an all-star level player, but he never quite reaches it. But, you know, he's still valuable. People know this, Paul, you don't. And and that's why it feels like the term I keep using with the pirates and how they're talking about this is gaslighting. It really feels like they're trying to make us think that we're crazy for saying a guy with a 430 OPS doesn't belong in the line. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And like I said, when you start, when you have to start going to, you know, uh, clubhouse guy, uh, really good at scouting pitchers, um, you know, all this other stuff. When you have to start to go to that to, to explain to us why you have a guy in your lineup, you've already lost. You've already lost your argument. Uh, you know, you, you want to tell me he's a glue player? You know what glue players do generally? Come off the bench. That's what they generally do. And so to me, you know, I, I wrote a column the other day about it. I mean, you know, I, I coach girls basketball. Co- college coaches, they, they, you know, they call me about players and this and that and everything. 
you know what? There are some players that aren't good enough to play at the, you know, at the colleges that are calling me. And guess what I say? Well, good shooter, hard worker, good teammate. That's all I need to say. Coaches know exactly what I'm saying, which is really not good enough. But you're just, I'm just trying to, you know, obviously I can't, I'm not going to say bad things about a player. But coaches understand, okay, he's basically saying probably not good enough because everybody should be able to work hard. Every, you know, everybody's been, everybody works hard. If you're, if you're, if you're at that level, you're going to be working hard and playing hard. It's a meaningless compliment in so many ways, right? Good teammate. Okay. What does that even mean? Right. And, and, and good shooter tells me that, that her game is very one dimensional and that, you know, she might stand out there and hit shots. Well, you know, we, we need a lot more than that. It's the same thing here. Well, good teammate, you know, and then they throw out, Instead of good shooter, it's DRS, right? Defensive run save. But but it's like, well, what, what about the fact that 61 out of the 69, uh, uh, 61 out of the 69 people have tried to steal bases against the Pirates have been successful? Isn't that on the catcher a little bit? It might be on the pitching. It might be on the catching, whatever. But isn't that a little bit on the catcher? How about the fact that this guy leads the world, like I say, in, in defensive, uh, I'm sorry, catcher interference? Is that? On the catcher, or is that on somebody else as well? You add it all together, and you've got a player who is not good enough to be a starting catcher on a team like the Pirates. He's, 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 he listen, you know, I, was, I had, I, I, I had someone argue with me uh, last week. Well, why is he hung around the major league so long? Because he's a really good backup catcher. He's a good role player. Right, he's you know, a good role this, player. This is, but starting catcher is not a role player, and like primary catcher is not a role player, and he's miscast. And I, I completely agree. If you have Henry Davis as your one and Austin Hedges as your two, yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people can live with. Paul, quickly, I just want to get your thoughts on where Austin Hedges belongs all time in in terms of bad major free agent signings for this franchise. Are we in Benito Santiago, Raul, <laughs> territory with this guy? Because uh, it, it feels like a similar Aki level. Aki, what was his name? Aki Iwamura. Remember him? Uh, that one too. Yeah, yeah, there's there's been some bad, bad ones. Here's the thing: I wouldn't put him in that completely in that category because he has held up his because he, he's been exactly what they they knew they were getting. So it's hard to put him in that category of these guys that came in that were just total, total, total waste of space. Um, I mean, defensively, he has been good, and that's what they knew that he was going to be. Uh, the, the, the issue is he's miscast in a role that he shouldn't be in. And that's where I would probably tell you that I draw the line with him. Uh, but as far as like putting him in that list of, oh my goodness, really bad. I mean, what was the pitcher they signed the one year that came in and his first three starts, he got blown out and they basically had a DFM. I'm trying to think. Who well, are you thinking of Matt Morris when they traded for him? Oh, uh, no, there was – I will think about it. Unfortunately, I'll be texting you later once I go through and look at the uh, – he was he was one of these older guys. They brought him in, um, and he was just horrific for three or four uh, – uh, three or four uh, starts and or whatever it was. And, and uh, But, yes, at the end of the day, I don't put him in that category because he has held up his end of the bargain. He's been exactly who they thought he is. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Paul, also when we get into Travis Williams' comments this week, it, it feels like every time this guy comes out in public now, he just gets crushed. I feel a little bit bad because I think a lot of people think he's like Frank Coonley and like massively involved with the baseball, and he is absolutely not. 
his whole thing is is the ballpark and the marketing and all of the business stuff around this team, which is not to say I think he's doing a fantastic job with that per se either. You and I talked a couple of weeks ago about how the lines at PNC Park are still long, um, how there's room for criticism of, of that ballpark not living up to its potential, you know, with the view that it has. But still, it's just it's awkward to me now. Every time he, he sticks his head out, people are crushing him with the pretzel before the fourth inning comment <laughs> and stuff. Uh, and then this week it was – while everything was burning down, while Austin Hedges was happening, while Brian Reynolds was possibly hurt, we're talking about a new team store like it's the biggest <laughs> in the world. Um, what can this guy do to like not get crushed every time he speaks? Well, unfortunately, with him, you know, he's used to, uh, he's probably still used to being a part of the Penguins, right? It was a lot easier to be a front man for the Penguins and come on and. You know, when, when you talked about the team store with the Penguins, people thought, oh, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened, well, you know, because it's the Penguins. Um, the thing that can happen for him is the Pirates can start winning. I mean, it's, it's you know, like I used to have this argument all the time with E.J. Borghetti and, and the marketing people over at Pitt. You know, um, I always used to say, you listen, you can do everything you want to do. And, and every time they would have a marketing initiative, people would make fun of it, right? And people would rip it. I said, you know what cures all of that? Winning. And it's amazing now, you know, Pitt, Pitt, Pitt football team and even, you know, uh, last year their basketball team and whatever, whenever they came out with initiatives or, you know, somebody spoke on their behalf, uh, oh, this is the greatest thing ever because they win. So Travis Williams' biggest problem is he's, on, he's, he's trying to be the front man for a team that has a very frustrated fan base. I did find the, the, uh, the, the timing of the team store stuff really odd. Um, uh, and so, uh, to me, uh, they usually have done a better job of trying to find a better place to fit that kind of stuff in. Uh, but yes, he's got a real problem in that he's the front man, the, the, the salesman, the business guy of an organization whose fan base is really just angry and frustrated all the time right now. Yeah, I, I very much agree with that. It's, sometimes it feels like he goes into the situation like he is, is running the Penguins and not the Pirates. And and the there's just a tone deafness, Paul, of like, you know, you can say, oh, we have the team store open, but talking about it like a transformative experience and making sure every beat reporter is there and, and you know, putting their <laughs> own cachet into it. I mean, it, it just, on a certain level, is he setting himself up for the jokes even though he's probably not doing as a bad as bad a job as I think a lot of people think he is. Yeah, of course he is. I mean, that's the risk. That's what happens when you're when you're dealing with a team with you know that, that is losing and that is you know playing really bad baseball that fans are have, have had enough of. Right, that's the bottom line. Fans have had enough of it, and so what always happens? You know, it's like the old days when you know oh, bobbleheads and fireworks and you know blah 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 blah. blah. Well, from 2013 to 2015, nobody nobody seemed to talk about bobbleheads and fireworks, right? And unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, for Travis Williams, we're back to the phase of bobbleheads and fireworks because the Pirates are in, have been in a, a really rough stretch for quite a time, you know, quite a few years now. Um, really, since 2015, they the one year they finished what like 84 and 78 or something, but other than that, it's been pretty ugly. Um, and, and, and so, you know, fans are back into the cynicism that they, and so 
everything Travis Williams says and tries to sell until this team starts winning is going to be met with cynicism and people making fun of it. Yeah, well, and, and the commercials too, Paul. It's like every time you watch a Pirates game, they're selling you those things. They're not selling you players. They're not saying – it's not even – they don't even have like an in-house ad for Andrew McCutcheon. All that stuff comes from AT&T Sportsnet because they want to give you a reason to watch the game where the that stuff doesn't matter. But anything that's furnished by the Pirates has nothing to do with the players. And and I think that that's part of the problem here because it when he does these things, it comes across as tone deaf and – they got to figure it out, um, you know, if, if, if they're going to turn around their perception. But, Paul, um, I know you got to do another show, so I'm going to let you go. Uh, any final thoughts for the week? No, no, I, I think I'm, I'm, I've had enough of it. I've, I've already <laughs> had enough of this pirate season, and it's only June. That's, that's not good. Um, and the other thing I would say is the uh, this team looks to me like it's going to be like a 95-loss team, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it's definitely – I mean, since I, – I tweeted this out the other day, Paul. Since since the 20-8, and eight, they have a worse – a significantly worse winning percentage by like 60 points than they had last season. And that's, yeah. you know, especially considering the things that it seems like they figured out early on that they exploited early on with the, the base running. It seems like that's dried up, and now it feels like even that 20-8 and eight was quirky. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. And that's so. what I've said, so. All right, All we'll let you go. And uh, right. thanks, everyone, for watching. Pop a like on the video. Help us out with the YouTube algorithm. Please subscribe, and we'll talk to you again soon. Right, Thank you for on. checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you like the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you enjoyed it on Apple Podcasts, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. For six months of digital access to post-gazette.com for just $6, click the link down in the description.